Welcome to the How to Be a TV Star podcast in association with Plop Entertainment. Yes, uh, hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to podcast number four, Becoming a Moving Train. Derek will explain a little bit more about what that means in a moment. But uh, if you're new to the podcast, I'd like to introduce myself. My name's Nick Piper. I've been a TV presenter for the Canworth Network for almost 10 years now, um, but I also work as the head presenting tutor at the National Institute of Dramatic Art. And with me in the studio, the Flinders Street studio today, is my Plop Entertainment co-founder, Derek Suit, with this week's subject, and it's a beauty. Hey, Nick. Yes, today we're going to be talking about how you can add value and marketability to your profile by simply being proactive. And we like to call this being a moving train. Being proactive is not only a great way to gain experience, but also strengthen your business knowledge and make you a more attractive proposition to your future potential employers. So let's find out how you can become a moving train. Get on board the moving train. Yes, indeed. As uh, Derek expressed in the introduction there, a moving train is indeed making progress of some sort. Now, let me just give you an ideal or less than ideal scenario for you as talent. You walk into an agency and you're seeking representation and the agent looks at you and says, well, you know what? I'm only going to invest time and energy into somebody who's already heading or at least knows where they're heading. And the reason for that is pretty simple. The agent doesn't want to spend a good month, six months, one year um, learning where you belong or where you fit. That really essentially is your job. And I mentioned in the newsletter with um, a fantastic quote there by Mark Morrissey from Mark Morrissey Management here in Sydney. And he mentions, and I'll just quote from that quote, be prepared for hard work. I've never represented a successful client who wasn't prepared to work hard, was well-read, self-motivated, and accurately aware of what the industry is doing. Now, the only way to do that is to generate momentum of some sort. Now, this can take several forms. We've already mentioned researching by watching television, but researching by also reading about television, knowing what the industry is doing, um, sourcing industry websites, registering for any newsletters, and certainly if you've got a local arts council, then they will have a lot of information on networking events that you might want to attend, but also screening of amateur uh, short films or pilot projects. You just need to be a sponge at this point because when you walk into that agency, you need to know exactly where you fit because you're not paying the agent to discover that for you. And as Derek will um, almost certainly agree with me here, that if you're out there waiting for an agent to make your career happen, then you're sadly mistaken because you have to make your career happen the agent literally just holds your hand through the process. Would that be right? Yeah, I, I think it's particularly true for TV, TV star, TV presenters, that you have to be more proactive as compared to um, actors and the like. They tend to have uh, more opportunities just purely because there's more jobs out there. But um, in, in terms of TV presenters, you, you definitely have to be more proactive. And the role that the agent probably plays more so um, is really to help you negotiate the deals when they come to you and help you manage the financial side of it more than anything else. I agree. And look, one of the main reasons why you want to be a moving train, you want to be heading in the direction and you want to just be participating within the business. And we're not talking about, you know, you don't need to be doing anything vaguely commercial or prime time at this point. You just need to be almost working on your skill set and building up your industry hours. Now, again, in the website we mentioned uh, making contact maybe with your local community radio or TV station. Now, the reason for that is 
you now can extend your resume. If you've worked on a production, regardless of how small it is, and if it's never ever televised or transmitted, you can still put that down on your resume. So when you walk into the agency or you walk into a casting director and they ask you what you've been up to, you don't just stare blankly waiting, saying, well, I'm waiting for the big audition, I'm waiting for my big break. You already almost know that you're increasing your chances of that break happening by participating. Um, and it's fun. It needs to be fun. It needs to be freelance. You're not under any great pressure. You're not being paid um, to build up your industry hours. This is the time for you to throw yourself into anything. Volunteer at any corner or at any turn if you're able to. Um, and particularly if you know of any institutions nearby that have casting notice boards, just, just go along to a casting and put your hand up for any volunteer work because at that stage, and we're going to be talking too, this also incorporates putting your tools of the trade together, which is your resume, your headshot and your showreel. But at this stage, certainly for where we are in these podcasts and newsletters, becoming a moving train is just starting to participate, even if it's in an, inform, an informal nature. Agreed? Yep, yep absolutely. And uh, it all, uh, I remember one quote or so, something along the lines of, you, you, everyone wants to get, make their big break, but if you look at anyone who's been successful in the industry, they get their big break or they are able to capitalize on the opportunity for their big break because they've had all these little successes or these little failures all along the way. And that's given them the experience and the backbone to actually deliver uh, and, be, and be successful when, when they've actually uh, succeeded at the particular audition or whatever job opportunity that they've been given. Now you may be wondering how on earth you know where you're heading and certainly finding that niche out there. Um, and Derek has some exciting news about our next podcast. What's our next podcast? Oh, yes, our next podcast is Positioning, which uh, Nick briefly alluded to at the beginning of this uh, podcast, and that's really just finding out where you fit. So make sure you tune in next week when we, uh, or next episode when we really discuss how to find your place in the market. Now it's time for the Fact of the Week. It's awards season in the United States at the moment, and of course all eyes around the world, certainly for television and film, turn to the United States at this point, uh, and Britain as well, of course, because you've got the BAFTAs going on. But this week's fact, or this podcast fact, is in regards to the awards that are better known as the Emmys. Now, the Emmy Awards are the most celebrated TV awards ceremony. Now, if any of you are out there wishing to, I guess, put a goal on your list of goals, then... You know, an Emmy Award or winning an Emmy Award should certainly be up there. It's certainly on my goal, on my goal list. The trophy's name for the Emmy Awards was derived from Emmy, spelled I-M-M-Y, a nickname for the Image Orthicon camera tube, which was obviously an, uh, is not uh, used very often um, nowadays. Now, the statuette used in the Emmys was designed by Lewis McManus, using his wife as a model. Very flattering because the statuette looks great. The nickname changed to Emmy, E-M-M-Y, in tribute to the statuette's female form. I've got to ask my, uh, my podcast co-host here if he's been watching any of the uh, award ceremonies on TV. Have you sort of seen any of the, did you see the Emmys or the Golden Globes? Or the... No, unfortunately I missed the Golden Globes. I was actually hoping that you may perhaps have uh, recorded it. Well, oh, all right, so you can watch it. <laughs> so I could watch it. Well, we've been it. so busy with our heads inside, our, inside the projects, uh, rather the uh, product, that we haven't had a great deal um, in which to do. But I certainly, one thing I've noticed is that there are so many people who have been successful this year who have been in the business for so long. And one example is Hugh Laurie. For those of you out there who know Hugh Laurie, he's, he was uh, part of a, 
a comedy duo in Britain, um, Fry and Laurie, and is only just reaping the rewards of what has been almost a 30-year career in stand-up comedy and, and skit shows in Britain, and now, of course, sort of walking the red carpet. As a, I think he might be 46 years of age. So he's done pretty well for a long time. But for those of you out there, Emmy Awards, Golden Globes, um, they certainly should feature high on your list of goals. So another fact, uh, next podcast. You're listening to the How to Be a TV Star podcast in association with Flop Entertainment. For more information, links and resources, please visit www.howtobeatvstar.com. Okay, now it's time for Reader's Letters. This week, or this episode, we've got a couple of letters from the first one being from Jermaine Jeffrey from LA. Guys, I really want to know how long it takes for me to get my big break in the industry. Whoa. How long we've got for this podcast? Well, we could spend an hour, at least, or spend a whole day, 24 hours talking about the answer to this. Well, look, essentially, how long is a piece of string? We just don't know. Um... Derek and I, when we put the Plop Entertainment product together on HowToBeATVStar.com, we made it very clear that getting your big break is not an overnight occurrence. And most people who have been in the industry long enough will tell you that sometimes the overnight success is often five to ten years of hard slog. Derek and I are very, um, I guess, interested in this particular question simply because this is the question we've probably been asked the most. Wouldn't that be right? Yep, and that's and that's probably one of the reasons why we we actually named one one of our programs your big break, which covers a lot of a lot of that. I think, in answer to your question, um, in terms of having some idea or to get some idea of how you determine how long your string is, it really depends on it depends on a multitude of factors ranging from your background, your experience, um, you know, your connections. There's there's all these different variables that that will determine how long it will take you to make your break, but uh, we both firmly believe that no matter how little connections, how little knowledge, no matter where you are right now, if you are really determined, you really uh, want to make it into the industry. There's no reason why you can't. I completely agree. And look, one thing I want to make absolutely clear to anyone who's listening to this podcast is that you don't actually plan for your big break. You plan ahead for longevity in the in, in the industry. You never ever wait or plan for a moment where, you, at the snap of a finger, something is going to happen. Simply because it never does. So, in answering your question, Jermaine, I think Derek's pretty much covered it. Um, you need to. Well, the plan I always used to sort of work to was a five to ten year plan because you'll end up doing a lot of jobs you don't particularly want to do, but that builds up your skill set and your experience to lead to the job eventually you would like to do. And in terms of presenters, a lot of presenters who have been the most successful on screen are now actually carving a career off screen. So they become directors and become producers. And and to be completely honest with you, earning a heck of a lot more money than they would have been on screen. So if you're referring to a big break, I'm assuming you mean when you can actually sit back and say, right, well, I'm working professionally as a TV presenter. I'm where I want to be. I don't think you can put a time on that. But plan for this to be a long-term investment into your career. You need to be in it for the long haul. Good tip. Uh, letter two is from Hannah Gamut from Uxbridge in the UK. What, and this is a very, uh, probably a question that a lot <laughs> of us want to know the answer to, what is the kind of money I could be earning as a professional TV presenter? Well, let's get straight to the point. You can earn 
$500 in a day, you can earn $50,000 in a day, depending on where you are in the world and what level of pay you are used to. At the end of the day, if you have a profile, people will um, pay you for that profile. If you want to turn up and open a supermarket because your face has been on, let's say, for example, the Big Brother show, um, your popularity at that point will be high. So you could command uh, an appearance fee of ten to $30,000, and we're talking US dollars here. Um, however, of course, um, it's sort of, uh, I guess, a logistical um, and logical connection between experience and the rate in which you charge. Primetime television presenters get paid the most because the most people are watching at that time, which means the commercial and revenue, the commercial re advertising revenue from the networks and the advertisers and sponsors will be high at that point. But there's a lot more risk riding on those kind of shows. But um, Hannah, look, if you're in it for the money, again, I've been told by a very wise gentleman by the name of John Redden, who is the head of production at Lifestyle Channel here in Australia, and he says that you've got to forget about the money. The money just comes with the territory. It comes with the job. You should never be motivated by money, and I'm not making the suggestion, Hannah, that you are motivated by money, but um, you almost have to love it before you think about if it's going to pay off your credit card. It's a passion. You have to have a passion for this business because the majority of it you are unemployed. That's right, with no money with no until money. the very end or exactly. until uh, after you've paid your dues. <laughs> but, and yeah, you're right. And it's a, that's a great question, though, because, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to dive into your dream career, you kind of have to know, well, look, my, my brother is a carpenter. How much money is he making a week? And my sister is a lawyer. She's making X amount of money per week. But you really shouldn't be thinking about the money as motivation. Two and you can, also, you can also compare it also to any professional trade. Um, you know, if you're going to study to be a lawyer, an accountant, whatever, these guys spend, you know, four or five years studying and, and actually it's costing money. I, I know people like in the States, you guys have to pay like $50,000 a year just to go to university. So they're putting a lot of investment in time, energy and money over a number of years, even before they start as a rookie. So um, if you look at it that way, um, you know, there, there is going to be that time in the beginning where you're not going to have much, but the payoff at the end could be could be worth your while. You know what, I've never looked at it like that, but that's the perfect analogy. If someone goes to university to train to be a doctor, you, well, you know, how many years is that? Oh, well, six for me. <laughs> six years. So six years of not actually getting paid to do what ultimately you were able to do. So that's, that's a fantastic analogy because if Hannah, if you really want to be a presenter, would you spend X amount of money for six years before you knew you could possibly make a cent back? All right, well... um. Derek has the email address. You should be sending any questions that you want to send us and have answered on this podcast too. Yep, just uh, send it to askus at howtobeatvstar.com. That's A-S-K-U-S at howtobeatvstar.com. You've been listening to the How To Be A TV Star podcast in association with Flop Entertainment. More information, resources and links can be found at www.howtobeatvstar.com.